In the last decade, all around the world, nuclear power plants have been decommissioned. Wind and solar power has made some great recent technological advances. So why is the United States still backing the nuke? On the 10th anniversary of Fukushima, I'm joined by Libby Halevi, author and activist that's been speaking out against nuclear power since her experience at the Three Mile Island disaster in 1979. On this episode of Times Like Now. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really glad to have you as a guest on the show. Thank you very much, Trevor. It's an honor, and I'm grateful that you asked me. So uh, very quickly, let's start with a, a bit of your your uh, program called Nuclear Hot Seat. You began this program in 2011, and I understand you are a survivor of Three Mile Island. Is that what was the impetus to get you into this into this world and tell me a little bit about the program and how you got involved in anti-nuclear work I was not from Pennsylvania. For people who don't know, the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island was a meltdown. It happened in 1979. And at that time, I was visiting a friend who lived one mile away and had just moved there. I didn't know anything really about nuclear except what I'd been propagandized with during the Cold War growing up, that all things nuclear were bad that were all things nuclear that were bad were coming from the Russians. So I had no awareness of anything like nuclear reactors, nuclear power in the United States. And then I suddenly found myself one mile away from a nuclear accident with no way of getting away from it. And it was extremely traumatic. We never knew how much radiation we were exposed to something I've only learned a lot about since doing my show. And in the wake of that, one would think that I would be an activist, and I tried to be, but I had too much post-traumatic stress. So I just, I stuffed it. I ignored everything about nuclear. I even ignored Chernobyl when it happened as just, you know, everybody else can be afraid of nuclear. I know what that means. I don't have to go there. But when Fukushima happened, enough years had gone by, enough time had happened, I'd healed enough on other issues, that when Fukushima happened, it was like the wake-up call of all time. And suddenly I kicked into action. I was online checking things, getting information and trying to share it with people, but it was never enough. Now I have a broadcast background and a journalism background and a theater background. And together, three months after I, after Fukushima happened, which was March 11 of 2011, 10 years ago now, three months after that, I just got the hit to do a podcast and I decided, well, let's see if this is something that I want to do. And that was more than 500 episodes ago. I've been doing it every week since then. That is a mouthful. Thank you for that update. That that answers uh, a, a lot. Now, you've done TED Talks, correct? That's correct. And now, because of Fukushima, this has you know, uh, been a question on my mind, is... I, I know that Europe is undoing a lot of their nuclear power. Germany is scheduling to shut down things by 2022. Italy is going to be blocking some things and stopping some nuclear power. What is happening in America? Uh, are we gaining steam or losing steam on the on the nuclear front? We are being propagandized up one side and down the other by the nuclear industry because the nuclear reactors that are currently in place, the 94 that are still in operation in the United States, were all built back in the 60s. 
So we're talking about very old technology here. The most recent of them it went online in the 80s. It's old technology. It's deadly. We know that they leak. We know that the older they get, the more dangerous they are because they are constantly doing a nuclear reaction in the middle. That hits the metal and the structural materials in containment, and it degrades that material constantly, a process called embrittlement. And, you know, when things get brittle, they tend to break more easily. This is about the containment of a nuclear reactor becoming more brittle. When they were first built, they were only supposed to last for 40 years because that's how long the engineers said they would be safe to operate, quote-unquote, safe to operate. The problem being that the Nuclear Regulatory Commission is referred to as the Nuclear Rubber Stamp Commission because it never met a nuclear industry request that it didn't grant. So they have been giving 20-year extensions for these reactors to run for 60 years, and now they're in a next round of these aging dangerous, old, embrittled nuclear reactors going for another 20 years for 80 years, which is beyond the scope of what they should be doing. So now what the industry has come up with is what they have labeled SMRs, which stand for small modular reactors. Note that they don't put the word nuclear in there because they don't want to be alarming anybody. We call them small modular nuclear reactors, and they make them sound like Legos. You know, these cute little pieces you can just put together, and they're small. The problem being, with every nuclear reactor of any size... It produces highly radioactive nuclear waste. And I'll get into radioactivity in a moment. But going back to the small modular nuclear reactors, they are getting millions and billions of dollars from governments around the world to build these things when, first of all, there's no agreed upon design. There's never been one built. There's never been one that has proven out the design concept. So there's never been one online. And it will also produce radioactive waste. The fuel rods inside a nuclear reactor, when they have been used up, have within them plutonium. Now, nuclear reactors for power were initially designed so that the military would have a constant stream of plutonium with which to build bombs. Because this is just shy of being being bomb-grade, nuclear bomb-grade material that comes out of a nuclear reactor. The problem being that we have no way to reverse the process. We've got no place safe to store it. So all of these Chernobyl's worth of radioactivity are stored on site in spent fuel pools at all of these different locations. There is no repository they like to talk about uh, Yucca Mountain in Nevada. It will never be built. It is not built. They're just keeping it alive as a fiction so that they can have what they're pushing for now is what's called interim reactor, excuse me, interim storage sites, which are in either New Mexico or West Texas. And they can only be built because they're interim, quote unquote, until the big one gets built. The big one will never get built. That's a legal fiction. So it's about making New Mexico and just across the border into West Texas a nuclear sacrifice zone. The people don't want it. The governments don't want it of those towns. There are tremendous actions against it. It's unsafe to transport the waste from where it currently is. And yet that's what they're pushing to make it seem like, oh, you don't like the waste here. We'll just send it off to New Mexico or someplace else. So there's a lot going on around that. The danger in all of this is the radioactivity. There's been some closures of, of plants in the United States recently. 
do you know which ones have closed recently and and how many? I mean, are we are we getting rid of them? Well, we're not getting rid of them. What it is is that we are closing down ongoing operation. Vermont Yankee is one that was closed down a few years ago. San Onofre here in Southern California. Um, uh, there are others, too, that are online. Three Mile Island, the last nuclear reactor there, was just shut down. But that doesn't get rid of the problem because the radioactive waste from the entire time these nukes have been in operation is stored on site in spent fuel pools, all of which are well beyond their design basis for the amount that they're holding because there's been no place to transport it. So they just keep adding and adding and adding. After Fukushima, I was very nervous because of the earthquake potential of the Pacific Northwest. That's what had caused Fukushima to fall into the ocean. Now, anniversary of that disaster um, just passed is Fukushima dumping water into, do, dumping their storage water into the Pacific? Not yet, but they have been threatening and preparing us for it for years. They're now planning to do it in 2022. The problem being that this is radioactive water that has been used in various processes to cool the ongoing triple meltdown. You know, those were three nuclear reactors in meltdown, and there were explosions that shot radioactivity into the atmosphere, actually up as far as the, um, uh, the jet stream around. So there's still Fukushima radiation traveling around the world that comes down with rain or with snow. Um, they have tremendous problems there. They just had another series of earthquakes that were actually aftershocks from the 9.0 from 2011. There was a 7.3 in early February, and just about a week and a half ago, there was a 6.0 in the area. What that did, first of all, is shake loose some of these storage tanks with the water, we know that 53 of them have shifted a certain amount because of the earthquakes. TEPCO, Tokyo Electric Power Company, which still operates the site and is supposedly in charge of the cleanup, will only admit to three of the tanks saying, and, and it didn't leak. Well, they did leak. It just, it leaked into some kind of a structure they have underneath there to catch the leakage. But we also know that some of the connections of the pipes underground have been stressed beyond their design basis, and they haven't even finished examining all of this. So that's one thing. Number two, when Fukushima exploded and spewed all that radiation and all that radioactive material into specifically the local environment. It contaminated the hills going up with the trees and, and all the flora and the fauna that was, that, that was growing up there. When natural areas are contaminated, it gets into the water, into the ground, it gets pulled up into the leaves or the flowers or the, the, the fruit and then as a season goes by, things decay and they fall down. Well, the radioactivity is up in what grew. And then when it falls down, the radioactivity is still alive. This stuff is deadly. Plutonium is deadly for a half-life of 24,000 years. And this is the most deadly substance on Earth. And it's completely man-made. So 
it doesn't go away. It just goes down and it decays back into the ground where it gets mixed with the water, gets mixed with the soil, gets taken up into the plants. And when there's pollen, the pollen blows away and over the land and contaminates because there's radioactivity in the pollen. And this will never be cleaned up. We don't know how to clean it up. We do not know how to manage this particular demon substance on the face of the earth. And so we're all at risk. It's never going away. Yeah, I've, I've never understood. I've never understood the fascination with, with the uh, nuclear cold war and the 1940s, 50s, 60s and on. I've never understood the desire or the need to test these things again and again and again and again and again to test these weapons uh, when we know as you just eloquently explained, you can't clean it up and you can't stop it once it's out there. It's It just seems a, a very archaic and ancient and very violent and, and bad idea for power when, you know, well, as you were saying. So tell me a little bit about your, uh, about your book. My book is, my book is called Yes, I Glow in the Dark. One mile from Three Mile Island to Fukushima and nuclear hot seat. And yes, I always keep one propped up here for occasions such as this. Um, it is the story of what it took for me to turn from a person who really wasn't concerned with nuclear into the person who's been producing now a podcast on nuclear issues for more than 500 episodes for almost 10 full years. Um, and it is a nuclear biography, a nuclear memoir that includes the other aspects of my life because everything plays in together. My broadcasting, my theater, recovery, other other movements that I've been involved in. But the important part in here is that it focuses on what it means to be a person with no genuine power in the world, no connections, no huge amounts of money or any kind of protection, to suddenly find themselves one mile away from a nuclear reactor, what it does to the psyche, what it does to the soul, and how many years it can take to turn around from that and move into action. But one does move into action because the only way out of the whole, the emotional, the spiritual, the psychic whole that being that close to a nuclear accident can do to a person is to get active and fight back in the ways that make the most sense for one. Now, the health uh, effects that come from from this uh, for instance, in Fukushima or in Chernobyl in Russia, what are some of the things that, you know, thyroid cancers and, but is this documented and how is it documented around the world from various uh, reactors that have gone, that have gone off? What do we find? And is there verifiable evidence that these cancers are being caused by this radiation. Yes, there's a tremendous amount of information that is out there. There's also a tremendous amount of information that is uh, uh, that is being manipulated so people can't learn the truth. Um, there's an organization here in the U.S. called Radiation and Public Health. It's radiation.org. They're epidemiologists, and they're the ones who crunch the numbers, the statistics on cancer and the like in areas and correlate that with nuclear reactors, nuclear accidents. Um, so that is one source of information. In Japan, they started out with a study where they, you saw probably the pictures with the kids where they, you know, people in full hazmat are putting these, these devices up to measure the radiation on the children's thyroid. And it looks like, yeah, Japan is on it. 
The problem being that Japan has manipulated that. And if a child moves out of Fukushima prefecture, they're dropped from the study. There's no follow-up. We know that there are already over 300 cases of either thyroid nodules or thyroid cancers in those who were under 18 at the time of the accident, meaning in 2011. So that is already documented. There are children who have had their thyroids taken out. And the number would be showing an even greater increase than it was. But another one of the manipulations, I found this out from an interview that I did on Nuclear Hot Seat, is that they're doing the study in a hospital. And they find that a child has nodules that have grown to the point where the child needs to either have the nodules removed or the thyroid removed. And they say, oh, you have to have that done at the hospital across the street. So the kid, the family goes and has it done at the hospital across the street. By that simple move, they are dropped out of the initial study and they're only in a follow-up study if they bother to sign up for it and they're not told to sign up for it. So the number goes way down. So what is happening is that the data is being rigged right now so that in the future, nobody can point back at Fukushima and say, uh, excuse me, this was devastating to help. But we have numbers. We, I have episodes on this on Nuclear Hot Seat. And if people would want to know, you can go to nuclearhotseat.com. You can search under radiation, or you can send me an email at info at nuclearhotseat.com. Request the information. I'll send you a couple of links so that you can find it. When do you think uh, America might, and the rest of the world, wake up to the to the inherent evils and badness of this? Do, do, do you have much hope? Is there, you know, organizations like your own and others around the world that are trying to undo this? Nuclear, oil, gas, all of the truly polluting technologies have got millions upon millions of dollars that they throw into PR to undercut the effectiveness of solar and wind. Are they progressing? I mean, we, we see, like we said, Europe uh, uninstalling or undoing uh, to the best of their ability some of these others. But is, is wind and solar and uh, other energies competing or making headway? Or is the nuclear power structure just too tough? Petrochemical, oil, gas, nuclear, they have got millions upon millions of dollars that they put into their PR propaganda, especially nuclear. They are evil with the way they plan out their talking points. We're getting slammed right now because yesterday was the anniversary of Three Mile Island. And every year around the anniversary, they come out with the pro-nuke articles one after another that have been in the planning stages for more than a year. And because of that, they are siphoning off money from governments around the world, here in the United States particularly, but around the world to back nuclear as opposed to putting the money into solar and wind and the other genuinely renewable energies that are out there. If we took the money that is being wasted on a single nuclear project here in the United States, which right now there are no new nukes being built, but the money's being siphoned off for research and development because, quote unquote, we need new nukes, which we do not. Um, if the money from just one of those was put to underwrite solar and wind generation in an important way, we would have more than enough energy with the existing technology, I do believe. Uh, and there are num there are people who have crunched the numbers on this who can prove that that would be the fact. But there's no interest in making us energy independent because then, you know, 
there goes Texas because oil and gas would not be the profit center that it is. And these people are terrified to lose their power. They would rather destroy us and destroy the planet and the environment than lose the illusion that they have that they are somehow immune to the consequences of their actions in this, which they are not. No money in the world can protect you from what nuclear radioactivity does to your body. And it doesn't take a lot. I understand the uh, Fukushima and Three Mile Island anniversaries all in March. That's interesting. So uh, happy anniversary, I guess. The doomsday clock, which created in 1947, uh, we are now 100 seconds to midnight. Is that appropriate? Yes. That's the closest that it has, I believe, ever been. And there are things that people deserve to know about that is fighting against this and fighting very effectively. Are you aware that there is an international treaty to prohibit nuclear weapons that is now international law? I have heard of this, yes. People need to know about it. It's from a group called ICANN, the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. This is the group that won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2017. A lot of people don't know that because it didn't show up on the cover of Time magazine. It wasn't sexy enough right. for them. But the treaty has made enormous inroads around the world in getting, at this point, we have close to 60 countries that have ratified this treaty and declared themselves to be nuclear free. None of them are the nuclear weapons bearing countries, but it's the start of international pressure to go, you know, these things are genuinely weapons of mass destruction. Nobody can win a nuclear war. It cannot be fought. It should never be fought because nobody can win it. And beyond that, there is a campaign that anyone listening to this can participate in. If you have a bank account anywhere, I don't care if there's $5 in it. If you have a bank account, you can participate. It's called Don't Bank on the Bomb. And what it is, is a program out of the Netherlands to have your bank remove all of its funding to the 28 companies that are known to create portions of nuclear weapons. It is at don'tbankonthebomb.com. They have all the companies listed. The information there is absolutely vetted, journalistically strong. Um, they update it throughout the year to make certain that it is accurate. And they also provide scripts so that you call your bank manager and say, I would like to find out if my bank is currently investing any of its material in, and you give them the list of the 28 countries. And I mean, this includes, you know, Rocketdyne and Boeing and I mean, some very familiar companies as well as some more obscure ones. And you ask the manager of your bank or you ask through customer service and say, I want an answer because this is my money. I do not want to fund weapons of mass destruction. Now, your $5 in your bank account isn't going to change anything. But what you will have done is raise the conversation within the banking institution. And then it takes, we know of instances where it takes as few as three to five calls from people who are concerned at a particular bank, or this could be your pension fund, this could be your financial advisor, as few as three to five, raise the issue and raise the question. And you send them the links to Don't Bank on the Bomb, which has 
everything spelled out down to the financial reports of these companies. And you give that information and you keep pushing. I found out that my credit union is not allowed to invest in these kind of businesses. So my money, at least my $5, is not going anywhere towards funding nuclear. But if you're with the major banking institutions, your money is. So this is where you raise the conversation. And not only there, tell two of your friends. Tell any group you're with, your PTA, your business groups, um, any organizations, you know, the, 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 the animals, the moose, the, the elk, any of them. And get them to just call and ask and find out. And that will go a long way towards creating financial pressure to cut the money out from nuclear weapons. The podcast is called Nuclear Hot Seat, nuclearhotseat.com. Libby Halevi, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been very educational. I hope uh, you continue doing what you're doing. I'm sure that you will. Check out Libby's podcast. And uh, thank you once again for joining me. My pleasure, Trevor, and the best to you with your podcast as well. You can find past episodes of Times Like Now wherever you find your podcasts. My name is Trevor. I can be reached, Trevor, at timeslikenow.com. Original music score by the letter J, Cody Robertson. I'll be talking to you again next time. <laughs>